Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing it can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello to you. Greetings from Ipswich. I am now about to do my sixth gig of the tour today and had a lovely day actually. It's been really chilled um, after I like had quite a lazy morning because I get quite adrenalised after the gigs so I'm not going to sleep till quite late. So last night we played in Cambridge, which was really fun and went to a nice pub after the gig as well. Had a drink somewhere local, felt really quite Christmassy, which might seem like a funny thing to say as someone who's already doing a Christmas tour, but <laughs> there's Christmas, then there's Christmas. Um, and yeah, so it was a fairly late night and then I had a fairly leisurely morning, which was lovely and watched a bit of Mean Girls and tea and toast on the bus and then went for a wander around town, went down to the water, like the marina in Ipswich. It was a really beautiful blue sky, sunny day. And I've been wandering all over town and I have in my other hand, I'm oh, sorry, I'm in the streets. I'm in the streets of Ipswich. Um, I have in my hands uh, a bit more Christmas shopping, actually. Doing quite well. I'm doing lots and lots of stocking fillers as I go around town because I find sometimes they're quite hard to do online. So I find like just finding little bits and bobs. Found some great stuff today. So I'm hoping I haven't got too much left of that to do because sometimes it's a bit fiddly, isn't it? What do you get teenagers in their stocking? That can be a bit challenging. I mean, obviously, you can do, still do silly things. But it's not like you can put so many toys in there. Anyway, I'm musing aloud. Um, and yeah, I have never, ever played the Regent Theatre here in Ipswich before, so it should be fun. 
I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like tonight. And everything's been going really well. I'm having such a nice time. The crowd's been amazing. The gig's really sort of bedded in. Feeling good about life. Yeah, all nice. And so, oh, my guest this week is Julia Bradbury. So Julia's got a son and twin girls. And wow, she is somebody that's a real force of nature. And I mean that in a really good way. Like she looks great. She's like brimming with good health. She's smiley. She's made lots of positive lifestyle changes, some of which I suspect were already part of her routine anyway. Loving the outdoors, the benefits of walking, the benefits of how nature can help your serotonin and your endorphins and make you feel good, dopamine, all these kinds of things that you get from the sunshine. However, I think she's now more aware of it than ever as she was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple of years back. Now happily all in the clear with that. But it's resulted in her really wanting to make sure that she's in the best possible health for her children, which is obviously a completely very understandable place to be in. And she's somebody that's very, as I say, very well informed about it all. And look... We know a lot of this stuff already, don't we? Processed stuff, not good. Sugar, not good. Slugging around, not seeing daylight, not good. Some of the working hours, the stress levels, how you treat your body. There's a lot of modern life that doesn't benefit us long term. And we know it really, actually making changes to your lifestyle and your habits. Well, it made me think a lot about me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in quite a good space and that I... My energy levels are pretty good. I'm a happy person. You know, I don't get ill too often. But golly, she made me realise there's a lot I could do to get things better. Um, whether I will do them remains to be seen. It's hard to break a habit. And I think sometimes you need a really big motivator. And I think your health, having, you know, having that under threat, that's got to be a pretty significant one. So I think, I think you're going to enjoy this chat and it might make you... I mean, you muse a little bit on how you look after yourself. We always, sometimes we can give really good advice to our friends about to be good to themselves, but you might not take the advice yourself so much. So let's see. Let's see what you think. But I tell you what, you're definitely going to come away learning a couple of things. I know I did. Anyway, so really good to, you know, have you with me again. Thank you. And I'm staring at the Regent Theatre in the cold down the end of a road in Nipswich. Uh, so while you're while we're listening back, I'm going to go and put the kettle on, and I'll speak to you in a bit. All right, bye. It's really good to see you, Julia. Always lovely to see you. So <laughs> last time I saw you, you were on a stage, you were performing, doing your thing, and uh, my kids were looking up in awe at you because one of my little girls wants to be a pop star. Oh, she really? wants to be you, and I was explaining how hard you work and that you were probably going on to somewhere else the next night, and all of those. She was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's how it works." Yeah, it is also really fun. Of course, <laughs> it is. It's brilliant, and you Never do it so really well. It's always a joy to watch you sing and perform. Thank you. Well, um, it's so lovely to be around here today and congratulations on your book thank you very much um why don't we start with a really simple question how are you feeling how is life life is good actually thank you life is really good um 
The book was an interesting project because the idea for the book Walk Yourself Happy started around, I think it was about the same time that you started this podcast. It was uh, it was in the midst of the pandemic. And I saw a story on uh, the news about a doctor in Manchester and he was talking about some children in the area who hadn't been outside for the whole of the pandemic through various, because of various reasons, they just hadn't been outside. Now I'm an outdoors nut and I think that, you know, kids need to spend time outside. We all need to spend time outdoors and outside, but particularly children in their formative years, it's massively important for lots of different reasons, from mental health, through to how they get on with their peers, problem solving, you name it, the, the studies show that it's hugely beneficial. So I started thinking, how are those children um, how are they going to be impacted long term? Not being outside at all. Uh, forget everything else that potentially That's pretty fundamental. Could have, being yeah, um, and you know everything else that could have been going on inside that home environment. And then I thought back as to how lucky I am, really fortunate. I had a mum who loved gardening and a dad who's a real outdoors nut. So I would potter around the garden with my mum when I was little. And then I would go out hiking and walking with my dad around the Peak District because that's where he came from. And we spent a bit of my childhood living in and around Sheffield. Um, And I just know how fundamentally important that was to my development and my bonds with my my mum and my dad and how I've... I've always used walking and nature um, as sort of my therapist and my outdoor gym and my friend. And it's just been there for me. And it's something I've taken for granted because of that relationship that I have with it because, mm. of, because of that upbringing. So the book was, was the idea was there to, right, how do we impress upon people how important nature is and how important walking in nature can be? And not just walking, because just being outside has lots of benefits as well, and breathing Mm. outside and daylight, which we'll maybe talk about later. Yeah. Um, And then it developed into, all right, well, it's not just going to be a book for kids. This should be a book for adults as well, because I think we're all suffering something called an indoor epidemic. We're all just spending far too much time inside. Um, Most of us looking at blue screens, uh, most of us under artificial light, as we are now, Um, just living a very unnatural life. You know, our ancestors, and that's not going back that very far, Mm. our ancestors were outdoor beings. We are outdoor outdoor beings. That's how we've evolved. We've evolved to move outdoors. We're bipeds for a reason. We can carry things. That's what sort of stands us apart from, from other species is that mm. we can stand up, walk and carry our belongings with us. Um, and, you know, then you go into how we started um, creating tools and all of those things. But we've essentially always been able to up sticks move with our tribe or on our own, go to a different location and forage and hunt and be in daylight. And now most of us spend maybe 90%, maybe 95% of our time inside. And we don't do any of those things. We don't move. We don't move outside. Um, we don't sort of like, we don't, we don't squat anymore. We don't go on all, you know, crawl around on all fours anymore. We just don't do so many things that we have evolved to do. And the long-term impacts of that behaviour on us, I think we're, we're living them now. We're seeing them. Mm. Massive spikes in chronic illnesses, everything from type 2 diabetes to cardiovascular disease to cancers. And then we move on to the mental health issues that we're seeing, massive increase in anxiety, uh, neurodivergency in, in younger children as well. And it's not just not being out, outdoors. There are other elements as well, the food that we eat, the environment that we're polluting, all of those things. But I felt that a book like this 
would be a really useful tool for children, for adults and for families, for everybody alike, because everything in the book is accessible, as in you can do it. If you can appreciate what nature and being outdoors is doing for you, then there are things in this book that you can do to to improve your health. And I don't just mean your mental health and your physical health. Health is, I call it, we're, we're sort of like, we're like a tree and we have a health tree. And you could say to me, um, Jules, I, I work out five times a week. I go to the gym five times a week. And I go, that's really good. So it's great for resistance training and all the rest of it. What else do you do? And you go, no, no, that's all I do. But I'm really healthy. And I would argue with you because we know each other a little bit and everything. I'd say, I don't think that does mean you're healthy. I think that means you go to the gym five times a week. What else do you do for your health? What do you do for your mental health? What do you do for your emotional health? What do you do with something for, with something that we call in the book social fitness, which mm -hmm. a, um, a, a psychotherapist called Janet Reebsland talks about, which is how do you get on with people? How do you interact with people? Um, what about your food? What about your daylight exposure? What about your sleep? All of those things create health. It's yeah. not just the one thing. So that's why the tree and the branches, that's my sort of analogy. And of course, I love it because I love trees too. <laughs> yes, perfect. And it's, you know, the holistic approach. Yeah. And also it's made me feel brilliant about the fact I do not go to the gym five times a week. So we don't have to have the awkward conversation. There you go. That's good. <laughs> my, my laziness has had a purpose <laughs> today. <laughs> that just would have been awkward. That would have been, yeah, it would have got over it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I Firstly, I 100% agree with you that one of the things I've always loved about your approach and the things you've on Instagram and everything is how democratic your approach to health is. It's not about accessing clinics and, oh, I've just come away from, you know, two weeks in Portugal juicing or whatever, these amazing mm -hmm. things that will definitely have benefits. Which are benefit and, yeah. and can be really useful. Yeah. yeah, not knocking it, but just saying it's about things that are peaceful, accessible around us and like you've said yourself, you know, if the first step to feeling better in yourself in every way is literally one foot in front of the other in the most literal sense, mm. how brilliant is that and how achievable for most people? And if it's not that, exposing yourself to early morning light, all these things. Mm. And I really like it. And how do you navigate between the science and the things that are a bit more, for want of a better expression, sort of woo-woo type. Yeah, yeah. How do you, have you found that? So, uh, first of all, I'll just take a, a step backwards, excuse all the puns and metaphors. Um, <laughs> you talk about like one step in front of the other. Um, as I've mentioned, the book doesn't just address walking, it, it talks about other things, but there are fantastic case studies in the book where real people have improved their lives or saved their lives, I would argue, through walking and through exposure to nature, where they've done things off their own bat, um, from the guy who was waiting for a heart transplant who got off the hospital bed and then just walked and is still alive today when he was expected to be dead, uh, to um, the lady with sickle cell who also was told by her doctor, you need to get out of the bed, you need to walk and go and see your baby. And she was like, what do you mean? I can't walk, I'm feeling. And he was like, no, 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 you really need to move, you need to walk. And that changed her life and she walks everywhere now. To another guy uh, called James who um, started building a healing pond in his garden, a pond that he could swim in. And he he was overweight, he had a, a snapped tendon, um, and uh, he was really struggling with breathing and, and, um, and, and overeating as well. And he discovered breath work mm. and five exercises, Tibetan exercises that he could do every day, and started building this pond, which he now swims in every day and feels that this closeness with nature and also completing the project, mm. doing it, that helped him regain his health as well. Um, so that's, I think that's important just to, just to mention these are, then they're ordinary people who've, yeah. who've really sort of found their way. Um, 
after I after I saw the news program about the children who weren't weren't spending any time outdoors, and I thought about this idea for a walk yourself happy book, how to access health through walking in nature. Then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So obviously writing a book, it, the pitch had already been, uh, was already there and the idea was already there, but obviously everything went on the back burner. And then it became about me looking after myself, researching myself, working out, right, why, first of all, is there a reason why? And is there anything I can do to help my recovery, to make sure that I can reduce the chance of reoccurrence? And I also gave myself a health audit and um, I've spoken to one doctor and she said, it's amazing the number of people who tell me that they, they say these words, oh, I was so healthy before my cancer diagnosis. And actually, yes, there are incidents of cancer that are very bad luck. Mm-hmm. There are. And I'm absolutely not shaming people here who've been diagnosed with cancer and saying it's your fault. And you're not doing it to yourself either. And I'm not doing it to myself, but I am incredibly curious about other factors that do play a role. So one in four cancers is preventable, which is quite a big statistic. So I started doing the research whilst I was undergoing my diagnosis and whilst I was going through my treatment. Eventually, I had a um, a mastectomy to my left breast. So I lost my left breast, but I had an immediate reconstruction. I didn't have to undergo radiation and chemotherapy. And then I had to make a decision about uh, ongoing drugs, what they, what, what I might or might not take. And all of this time, I started doing research into what factors could have played a role. And also the book, I, I was thinking, actually, I probably will write this book at the end of this, but it's going to take on a new dimension. Absolutely, yeah. Because this is now about this holistic health. It's not just about walking in nature. It's about what other things. So the massively surprising facts for me, which are in the book, are how important sleep is. yeah. Now, I think it's something that we sort of all know, we think we know, but there is a badge of honour to pulling an all-nighter. People say, oh, I can get by on five hours a night's sleep. Um, I know you have a very sometimes disrupted sleep pattern, and we just push ourselves through it. I did. So at one stage in my career, I was presenting a live television show on BBC One. I would finish that live show, get on an aeroplane and go and film another show on the other side of the world. It's a travel show. Film maybe in two different countries that week and then come back and then start the live show again on the Tuesday. Wow. And I did that for a couple of years. Mm. So my time, you know, I was pushing the biology of my body. I was, I was flying through different time zones, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I never gave it a second thought. Because I could do it. I felt able. I was younger. I had the energy. I just sort of pushed on through. And now I realize actually I was doing some damage to myself. And what Professor Russell Foster would say is, I asked him, do you think any of this, uh, any of this sort of lack of attention to my sleep, do you think it played a role in my cancer? He said, I can't categorically say that to you, Julie, but I can say it's like juggling with knives because sleep is so fundamentally important to our biology. You know, I know, when you've had a bad night's sleep, you just don't feel great the next morning. Your decision-making is off. You're a bit more negative as well. You know, everything that might be okay is not okay. Um, The kids will say something that just sets you off in a different direction that they wouldn't have done. Yes, big big nodding. Yeah, big nodding. Well, the other thing that's happening is your biology has changed. So I've been doing 
lots of the tests that you're talking about now sort of as, as an experimental. I want to do the tests so I can write about them, talk about them and share my findings with people. Not so that they have to do all of these tests, but just as a demonstration of things that might be interesting. So your blood sugar control is severely impacted when you don't have a good night's sleep. So I could have um, the same breakfast after a really good night's sleep and a really poor night's sleep, and my blood sugar spike will be higher if I haven't had a good night's sleep because my body just can't control uh, my blood sugar in the same way because it's tired. Which because, might be why you also have more tendency to keep reaching for sugary things Yes, as well. and then the, that's when the cravings start. Mm. Professor Matthew Walker, who's, uh, who's another world expert on sleep, he, I saw him on social media this, in the last month, and I really rate him. I think we can all say that he's an expert we can rely on, and of course that's very hard as well. Who do we trust and who mm. don't we trust these days? He was talking to somebody in an interview, and uh, the question was asked, if I have two or three good nights of sleep, like eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, and then I have a couple of nights of five hours, five hours, what's happening to me? And one of the things that happens is your natural killer cells are depleted. Now, natural killer cells are part of our immune system. So this way you get more likely to get all sorts of bugs and illnesses and colds and coughs and things. One of the things that the natural killer cells help you with is, is fighting cancer. Mm. as well. So if this is something that's happening regularly to you, mm. yes, you may be, you'll be more prone to colds and flus and infections, but long term, you will be more prone to chronic illnesses as well. And I'm sorry for shift workers and for performers and for people who are out there who are listening. We know that when you have an irregular sleep pattern, we know that chronic illnesses are higher. The rates of chronic illnesses are higher in these people. And what Professor Russell Foster says in, in Walk Yourself Happy is, if you can do it for five years and then give yourself a break, that is one of the things that you can do just to try and get off that treadmill and reset your body. The other thing is, don't feed yourself the sugary things, the carby things that you feel that you want. Go for proteins, go for vegetables, go for those things that yeah. won't spike your sugar. Because the other thing I didn't realize is how dangerous lots and lots and lots of sugar is. I just, I, again, I thought, I thought we all know, don't we? But Yeah, but modern life, it's very hard because you're having to navigate it yourself and everywhere around you is, has normalized that way of living and convenience living and all that stuff. It's completely mm. normal. Yeah. And you can surf through the day that way and no one's going to pull you up on it because yeah. it was all there. It was all an option. And it's funny because as you were talking, I was like, I'm sitting in your home, the doors have been sealed, and they were basically saying to me, um, it feels a little bit like an intervention on my <laughs> Sophie, this isn't actually your podcast. Claire and I, your producer, have got together. Yeah, well, there's two doors, two exits, and I'm like, it's Matthew behind that one and Russell's behind that one. <laughs> but I'm also thinking sleep, that ginormous topic. Because what we haven't mentioned much of yet is the fact that you've also been raising three children mm. within these, this time. The mm -hmm. last, so your twin girls are now, I think, eight. eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And your little boy is now... My boy's 12. 12. Yeah, I was 12. Say 11. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so in the past, the bit before you went on this journey of exploration into sleep and all the things, yeah. 
Was this even an option to you to live in a different way? Because that's very hard when you've got small children. Look, it's so hard. And and my whole family have had to make this transition with me. And there have definitely been times where it's been very, very challenging for them. And I am that annoying mum who doesn't let them eat pizza all the time. I don't let them have the pasta, cheesy pasta all the time. I roll my eyes when we go to, when we go out. And yet again, on the menu, it's chicken nuggets, a burger and um, pasta with butter. I mean, that's... That's just like the universal children's menu, which yeah, is yeah. shocking. Very unimaginative, it's isn't really it? unimaginative, and just not good for them as well. Also, pretty patronising to modern kids who I think have far more diverse palate than I had when I was little. Yeah. they're exposed to a lot more food, spices, seasonings, all sorts. Yeah, um, so it has been very, very difficult. And I was, I, I thought again, I thought I was healthy before my cancer, and then I started looking and realising that I wasn't that healthy, that I didn't have good habits, that I wasn't looking after my sleep, that I was eating way too much sugar, that I was letting my children eat way too much sugar. So now I want my kids to be normal. I want them to have friends. I don't want them to be ostracized. <laughs> um, but I am, we don't have, we used to have a sweetie drawer. We don't have a sweetie drawer anymore. Well, we do, but it's full of very different things. And now my, if my kids want a snack, it's generally um, crunchy vegetables mm-hmm. um, and some nuts and, you know, some some fruit, that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, it's It's not the chocolate drawer anymore. Or if it is the chocolate drawer, it's dark chocolate. And it's, you can have three dark chocolate buttons. Do they like it? They love it. They're now onto it. That's so sophisticated. I'm I'm really, really proud, actually, that they've they've made such big adjustments. So cereal is another sort of guilty, guilty sort of partner and a party. And I hate to hate to say this because people hate it when you tell them what to eat. And I'm not telling people what to eat. This is research and this is stuff that's out there. And there are people like Professor Tim Spector, uh, Chris Fontelligan has written Ultra Processed People, these are the people who've really done the research who will tell you stuff like ice cream, cereal, supermarket sliced bread, pizza from the packet. All of this stuff is so ultra processed. It's fundamentally bad for us. It's messing with your brain. It's messing with your gut microbiome. It's, it's not something, again, it gets back to not something your body understands. We haven't grown up. We haven't evolved with these emulsifiers and flavorings and texturizers that are used. Even in stuff like toothpaste, they use things to make the toothpaste more palatable, to make it more slippy, to make it taste better. Um, You know, you can get strawberry-flavored toothpaste for your kids. Mm. Does that sound right? (laughs) I know, it's crazy when you say it like that. It's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's... um... I suppose it just sometimes feels quite uh, challenging because the legwork in Mm. making the choices comes down to us being conscientious consumers, which takes time. It might take extra cost. It might take um, doing things that are slightly out of the way of the most convenient route. Yeah. So No, it's hard. It is hard. It's really, really hard. And 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 I feel... You have to be very dedicated if you're going to make these changes. And it's also, this isn't information that is widely known. As in, it's not, the food isn't, the, all of the ingredients, you pick up a packaged um, food, whatever it might be, whether it's, you know, a meat product or a pizza product or bread, bread whatever, and you look at 20 or 30 different ingredients on the back. There isn't, there's, there's no labeling that tells you oh xanthan gum that's that's connected to a bacteria family and and that's not really very good for us or you know whatever the colorings and the flavorings might be oh this this yeah. could have an impact on your mood i think if people maybe if they knew more it might help but also maybe not you know people go i haven't got time 
That's the biggest thing. I haven't got time. We've been led to believe as well, and it's true for many of us, that we don't have time to make for ourselves, to choose the right food. We're on this, we're on this hamster wheel of we've got to empty the inbox of the emails. We've got to do every request that comes into us. Yeah. Um, we have to answer every WhatsApp message. We're, uh, it, we're this modern 21st century life is pressure all the time, which is why we've got all these stress stressors and I think an increase in and anxieties and mental health issues. Because where's the time out? Where's the time where we don't have to do all of it. We're never going to finish the to-do list. Yeah, and there's no filtering. That's what I find sometimes when I'm under stress. I've realized that every every message, every WhatsApp, every email comes in at the same level and I can't navigate. The big and the small just become, everything's almost in block capitals. Yeah, like which one are you meant to respond to yeah. today and which one can you leave for a while? And then when you leave it, you forget and then you remember and yeah. then it's stress and you have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't get back to you. Yeah, it's um, it's coming at us from every direction. From yeah. our phones, from our emails, from our work colleagues, from our family, from our friends. I mean, bless my mum. I love my mum. She's 85 and she's discovered Instagram. I'm like, no, <laughs> please, stay away. It's one more way for you to communicate the wrong way with us all. You know, she's going to put something up on Instagram that's highly inappropriate or some random message like, oh, are you coming? Or, well, what about the bins? Or, you know, something <laughs> that is just like, no, mum, not on Instagram. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And how do you feel if, because it feels like, actually like a lot of women I speak to, the your home life, your, you know, your personal life and your work life, there's so much cross-pollination. So mm. how are you at kind of 
compartmentalizing these things? I've become much better okay. because I have realized how important it is to be present. Bit of a cliche, bit of one of those woo-woo terms, are you present, are you here? But I want to be with my children and that's the one thing, well, there are many things that the cancer diagnosis taught me. But for me, my massive motivator is I want to live as long as possible to be here on planet Earth with my children for as long as possible. And therefore, every weekend I have with them, every every day that I can come home a little bit early and be here to spend more time with them for homework or just to sit and play with the hamsters with them or watch even watch a movie with them or do some writing or drawing, whatever it might be. Those are very, very precious moments to me. And I think they are precious moments for everybody. And I think those are some of the smaller things that it's easy to lose sight of. And I coined this phrase in the book called the small things are the big things. And those are the kind of things. Like this morning, I did my breath work. I do breath work in the morning light every single day. That's one of my new habits. And I do it because scientifically it's good for you. Um, it gets your hormone cascade going and sets you up for the whole day, really elevates the mood and gets lots of other bodily functions going properly. So I wake up early to do that so that I can then be in time for the school run and breakfast and, and everything else. And this morning when I sat out on my windowsill, which is very safe, everyone's always very worried about me sitting on a windowsill. <laughs> I can't fall down and injure myself. Um, I opened the window and it was sunny. And it hasn't been a sunny morning where for, for a while, for yeah, like three days. So it was beautiful. So I was like, oh, yes. Just, I mean, I, I would do it come rain or shine anyway. But that was like, yeah, that would be on my gratitude list today. It's like, it was, it was just that morning light, but it was sunny light in my eyes. And it just made me feel just that, you know, 10, 20% better about what I was doing. And those kind of things are very, very important. And although the juggle is real um, with the kids and school and schedules, my schedule like yours is very haphazard. You know, I don't really know where I'm going to be from one day to the next. Um, I could be away filming on location. So luckily I have a partner who is very hands-on as a daddy. He absolutely loves being uh, a dad as well. And I think because we were both late to the parenting game, I was 40 when I gave birth to Zeph uh, and he was, uh, he was 51, I think. So we're, we're older parents. And in one way, that's made us already, we were much more grateful for the, the joy of becoming parents uh, at that later stage in life. And I don't, think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong or right, but one of the things that being an older parent can, uh, can do for you is you've got more experience under your belt. You're able to cope with things you know, in a different way and you can prioritize, prioritize things differently because that's what you've spent your whole life doing with other things, with your work and stuff. And then suddenly children become the number one priority. It's not your job. It's not where you're going. It's not the business. It's not, it's not your to-do list. It's right. How do we make the children count? How do we put them at the top of this pyramid and then work around that? Mm. And that's what we do between us. There's always one of us here. So if I'm away for work, he'll make sure that he's not, not that he goes away as much as I do. But if there is something that one of us has to be at, that a parent you know, has to be at, and for some reason I'm away, he makes sure that he's there. Um, if I go away for three days of filming, he will be here and make sure that he's here. And um, likewise, he might have early morning site visits or something like that. And you know that, that would be the morning that I'm with the kids. So we manage it and we juggle, but we're very much equal partners. And I feel very grateful to have somebody who pulls his weight like that in the same way and, and really regards it as, as what he wants to do and what he feels that we both should, should do, really. No, that is, that's really important to stress. That's, that's wonderful. And I guess for both of you, as you said, the path to parenthood, 
maybe didn't always run as smoothly as you no. would hope. And from the sounds of it, you really always knew you wanted to have children. So if you take me back, what was happening when you had Zeph? What was going on in your world at that time? So Zeph, so 12 years ago. Um, so I had been diagnosed with endometriosis, um, which I've now explored more and have done lots of, um, I've had lots of discussions about endometriosis. Endometriosis is uh, a big clue that you could be estrogen dominant. Um, just putting that out there to, there are lots of, yeah. you know, ladies out there who suffer from endometriosis. And estrogen dominance can, not necessarily, but it can play a role in other things downstream in your life, including breast cancer. That's not to say I don't want women who have got endo endometriosis and think they're estrogen dominant to think they're going to get cancer. But for example, what I've learned through genetic testing is um, I'm estrogen dominant, but I also... The easiest way to say it without getting down into the whole sort of geneticist's language is um, I don't process my oestrogen very well. So oestrogen can be toxic mm -hmm. and um, I don't process the toxic oestrogen that well. So there could arguably be, again, this is very layman's and there'll be doctors screaming at, the, yeah. at, at this going, no, that's not factually correct. But essentially, I don't process the, 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 uh, that that toxic estrogen that well so there are buckets that that do look after the estrogen and so i would have i would have had a toxic load of estrogen and when i stopped menstruating um where does that estrogen dominance go and one of the things that can happen is breast cancer right um so i was struggling endometriosis is also one of the side effects of endometriosis is uh, infertility mm -hmm. and i was struggling to fall pregnant and it was, I, I knew that it was down to the endometriosis because I'd been diagnosed and I'd had, uh, I'd had um, keyhole surgery to remove some of the uh, endometrial lining that, that happens with endometriosis, the buildup. Um, so I went down, we went down the road of IVF um, and uh, that has all sorts of problems as well associated with it because it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, uh, it has an impact on your health, you're messing with your hormones, you're doing all the things that I didn't really want to do, but I really, really wanted to be a parent. Yeah. And actually, you've been through IVF a few times. Yeah. So actually, uh, Zeph was like the miracle, the miracle, miracle boy. Despite the endometriosis and everything else, we, we hadn't started the um, IVF. We'd, we'd tried something else and then I fell pregnant. So that was brilliant. We were like, yay, that's fantastic. Um, and then... After Zeph was born, we were both really, really desperate for him to have siblings. We didn't want him to be an only child, especially with older parents and all the rest. So the, that urge was almost stronger than the urge to, to have, you know, have a child in the first place. And that was when we started down the IVF route with, with force. And it was four rounds, three, four rounds of IVF, which is punishing. Um, you know, working with your cycle, injecting yourself. That's a lot. Um, and I was trying to juggle work as well. I was spinning those plates. And I was presenting Countryfile at the time. And I remember at one point... Um, you, you do lots of tests when you're having IVF and, and they're, they're monitoring your bloods to see where your hormones are. And then it's basically, they give you a cocktail. It's like, you're, like, you're a bit like a racehorse. They're trying to get you ready to, mm. you know, get you pregnant at exactly the right time. And the blood results had come in, but I was filming in Scotland. So I had to find a GP practice in Scotland 
where the the lab could send the results to and that they could then read. Oh, they were like interpret them. And, interpret oh, wow. the results and then we could feed that back to, to my guy. I mean, it was horribly stressful and it didn't work because of course they didn't quite know what they were looking for. They weren't my, it wasn't, they weren't my specialists. You know, they read the bloods in the way that they were reading the bloods as a GP practice would, not the way that he was reading them as a, and I just suddenly thought this isn't going to work. I can't carry on juggling like this and trying this very complicated clinical procedure um, and, and be stressed the way that I am. I'm, not, I'm just not going to fall pregnant. There's no way I'm going to fall pregnant like this. You know, your, your chances are slim anyway with IVF. So I made the decision that um, I would really scale back all of the work and um, that I would just focus on looking after me. And I suppose that was the first time I realized my body just couldn't keep going. And that was when I realized I was not infallible and that I'm not superwoman and that you can't just crack on with everything all the time and that it's not just your energy and your sort of internal capacity that drives you through, that, yeah. that we are we're little machines and we need a bit of nurturing and a bit of love and a bit of care as well. So I did scale back. And then when I did find out finally, after the third or fourth round of, of IVF, that I was pregnant, we had made the decision to go away to Greece. I'm, my, my family are from Greece. So we went to Greece. We went to a lovely little island called Spetsis and we didn't move for five weeks. Very fortunate that we were able to do that. I know that, you know, it's, it's a, a very privileged position to be in, to be able to take that time out. But I'd worked leading up to it, had another project after it. So we felt confident that mm -hmm. we could do this. And I didn't move for five weeks apart from, you know, gentle walking and doing all the right exercise. I didn't have massages because that can have an impact. I didn't have reflexology because that can have an impact. I really, really took care of myself. I read lots. Um, I went to, the, you know, swam in the sea. I walked. And that was where I found out I was pregnant with um, the girls. That sounds pretty magical as a little chapter because it, it had such a happy ending. Yeah. And it really, really... It was, and we didn't know for sure that they were twins, but you can, by the way that they measure the bloods, you can see if you have a high yeah. count, they know that it's multiples is what they say. There's exactly. a high chance that there'll be multiples. So we had these bloods done in, in Greece at, uh, I got a boat to the, to the clinic. <laughs> of course you did. All very chilled. You know, not like a speedboat, but like a gentle note. So I didn't fly. I was like, and that's where we had the bloods done. And then they came back and they were like, oh yes. And I remember the day... Uh, so vividly and obviously I cried and it was very, very early days. But I knew that this was my last chance saloon. If this pregnancy didn't um, didn't result in children, then this was my last chance. So everything was, was I was I was really holding on to this wow. as, um, as something that, that had to be. Well, that'll be very reassuring for so many people. I, I have conversations quite frequently actually with women who haven't had any children yet and they're maybe in their 40s and I always think, stories of people having their families at that time is is an amazing bit of hope for everybody you know of, of how it can be <laughs> but also when I was thinking about you I was thinking that as you said actually yourself that that relationship with your body and your health at that time I mean that's a huge amount of intervention as you say IVF is really invasive mm. um, and were you able to be open about it because obviously with your relationship with your cancer diagnosis um a lot of it's been very open, very conversational. You know, you were presenting live TV, at the, you know, through the early parts of your diagnosis and speaking about live on air. Then you were doing interviews and your documentary, which is brilliant. 
And I would have felt like for me, that would be quite a helpful thing if I was going through it. I would find that a useful place to put things. But with IVF, I don't know if people necessarily feel they've got the same ability to be open. So mm. I don't know if it was quite a private thing at the time. I couldn't be public about the IVF when I was going through it because of my work. It would have uh, influenced the people and the broadcasters and the production companies that I work with. Right. So uh, it had to be, um, it had to be private for that reason. Um, but when I could, I did, I was open about the fact that the girls were IVF babies because same way that I went public with the with the breast cancer diagnosis. Not because it was particularly helpful to me that the breast going public with the breast cancer diagnosis, I think, was, and making the documentary as you've as you've sort of quite rightly pointed out, was helpful for me to do that. It was a way of processing everything that I was going through. With the IVF, I knew that it would be hopeful for people. And it was, as you said, it was a it was a, it, it ended well. So I'm touching wood and feeling <laughs> very fortunate about that. But I wanted I wanted people to 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 see that yes, you could be the, the wrong side of 40 and, and it could uh, it could work. Now that doesn't mean of course it's still the statistics are, are not really in our favor but it was a it was a hope story and I was very happy to put it out there so that people knew that's why I felt pregnant as well. I didn't want to fool people in a way into thinking oh it had just happened or a natural lovely lucky coincidence that there was that intervention had taken place that mm. I had gone through all of that. Um, with the breast cancer I let people know as soon as I possibly could because I knew that I would have to handle it publicly because I didn't think I could keep it a secret from my children. I didn't think I could keep it a secret from the people that I was working with because you'd, I'd have had to turn down projects and change projects. And even now I work very, very differently. And I'm very honest about why I work very differently. And that's because of my breast cancer. I'm like, I'm still in remission. I, I consider myself still to be um, recovering from breast cancer and I'm taking the best possible care of myself. So that means I can't do the schedules that I used to be able to do. So now I always have a day off in between blocks of working. Um, when I'm filming, I don't do super early mornings anymore. I can't do them. I feel exhausted. I still feel tired. I need that morning light. I need my breath work to sort of boot me, mm. get me, get me going. And so far, production companies have been very, very understanding. But eventually people forget and they kind of, you know, it, the, the requests come in. Oh, can't you do this? And can't you do that? <laughs> can you, you know, and you go, well, no, well, I was working till 11 o'clock last night. No, I can't do a 6 a.m. because I just haven't had enough rest and sleep. Yeah. And, um, so you'll have to keep an eye on your own boundaries, won't you? Yeah, uh, that's... and. And you also have to remind people. But I don't want to always remind me, oh, I've had breast cancer. Oh, I've had, it's, but I do want to remind people that I'm taking the best possible care of my health and these are the things I need to do. Yeah. No, I think it's, um, I think it's really important and hopefully part of, you know, you've had so much experience. You've been working for such long. You've, you've earned the right as well to completely articulate the boundaries of what works for you. And I think it's helpful for other people as well. Mm. There are rules when it comes to employment and people who've had cancer. Um, you know, your, your workplace should be understanding and they should give you and make allowances for you and, and give you the um, the freedom that you need to recover. Um, they shouldn't discriminate against you. And mm -hmm. those... Uh, those um, rules and regulations are in place in the workplace. And I think it's important that people know that as well, that they are yep. able to stand their ground and say, right, how are we going to 
work moving forward because it's changed for me. No, that is really important. Actually, I did want to ask you, so my, I've got a brother and um, two sisters on my dad and my stepmom's side. So there's the twins that were born when my older sister was one. So for a time, there were all these babies under three, three under three. Mm. And my stepmom and my dad had wanted children for a really long time. Um, they'd been through IVF as it happened. That didn't, wasn't successful. The twins ended up being born. She just fell pregnant naturally. Didn't Which, think she could. Um, very strange. That happens quite a lot. It does happen a fair bit, but it still was quite a shock because she didn't realise until she was four months and then they think they were born at seven. So we only, we, as a family, we didn't have very long to kind of get our heads around. This was when I was in my late teens. But um, I did notice that it was incredibly full on having those babies and obviously much, much, much longed for. But sometimes I think when you've got these very long for babies, but it's full on, it's quite hard to know where to put that emotion mm. of finding aspects of it struggling, a struggle or a challenge when you've also put yourself through so much to have them. Was that something that happened with you? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, uh, it, uh, none of us are perfect parents, are we? And, and, no. and we've already spoken no. about, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, um, you're ratty and, you know, you might, you know, you might um, react to the children in a different way. And, and certainly mistakes were made and uh, angers, uh, you know, tempers were frayed. Is <laughs> your memory of it now kind of softer because they're all, older? Honestly, it is, I think it is. And honestly, I mean, I was, I was sitting in bed with uh, one of my little girls over the weekend and we were trying to find this piece of video footage of her when she was about three and she would stomp up the stairs and she was chunky little thing she was so cute she would uh, stomp up the stairs and then she'd put her hands out and she'd go password and she still got a little she'd go, what's the password <laughs> and then you'd say and then we'd, the password would change every day it would be like sausages or chocolate or, or piggy or something like that and we were looking for this um, and uh, we found it and we watched it again and again and again we were laughing about it and honestly those are the memories I, uh, that, that, that are most vivid for me all those magical little so moments cute. so cute and they're not identical and one of them was huge, looked like a big Buddha baby. <laughs> and the other one looked like a little turtle. So we called them the Buddha baby and the turtle. And <laughs> so we just have all of these lovely, uh, lovely little memories. And all the bad stuff, like the midnight feeds and um, waking up after, you know, with not enough sleep, all of that's a bit of a distant memory now. And I think... It goes back to Russell Foster, doesn't it? If you can have the, if you can sh shift out of the shift work, mm. they we all go through those tough times, those first two or three years when they're not sleeping properly in the feeding and yeah. all of that, where it's just very, very hard. I'm very lucky that I have a close family, that my parents, even though they're sort of in their 80s, they're very hands-on. Mm. My sister, Gina, is very hands-on. Uh, my, my partner is Irish, so he has eight brothers and sisters. Oh, blimey. So there are a lot of aunties and uncles out there and great aunties. As in he's one of nine? Yeah. Well, his mother gave birth 13 times. Oh, my goodness. Good Irish Catholic. Wow. Lost a few along the way, I'm sad to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but yes, he's he's um, he's now um, one of eight. Wow. Uh, big family. Big family, but great. I mean, fantastic aunties. So one of the aunties, Auntie, uh, well, Auntie Rosie and Auntie Bernie, we've got to give them all a name check. Auntie Bridge, <laughs> Auntie Mary, they're all amazing. <laughs> but Auntie Rosie hasn't had children of her own. Um, and she honestly just jumped headfirst into all of the babies when they were here, from Zeph to the girls. She loved it. And she's, she's has a really special bond. They've all got special bonds. But because she didn't have children, I think the fact that we said, here, yeah, change the nappies, have them yes. sleep, do the routine. Um, she loved it. And 
to have that as a backup, your family, I mean, I know you you guys are really, really close as well. And that's the great thing about having a big family is yeah. you you can rely on them and you don't feel guilty. You're like, no, no, that's fine. I will go and sleep. Oh, <laughs> while, no, it's the best. While, while you take care, while you do the feed and, you know, change yeah. the nappy. All of that. And I think seeing your kids have relationships of their own with other family members that's got nothing to do with you is actually one of the unexpected pleasures of parenthood. I love it very much. Um, and I feel like a little bit like I know your family, not because I follow your mum on her new Instagram account, but through watching the documentary and we saw your lovely mum and dad and your sister Gina, and I, I really got the warmth emanating from that. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, oh, I did, there's some really special moments in it, actually. I, I, I don't know if it's something you would you would watch right now. I mean, what's your relationship now like with that time when you're still as you say you're still in recovery from mm. your cancer and obviously happily it looks like everything went very smoothly with the treatment but still such a huge thing to go through it is a really big thing and I would say I'm still um I'm still working on it I'm just about to explore different types of therapy now to sort of trauma therapy and healing therapy mm. to really, I think I'm quite robust mentally, but again, I think that's part of my coping mechanism of I'll be fine, I'll be okay, mm. you know, and, and a bit, and what I don't want to do is what I did 10, 15 years ago, just push through. I want to make sure that I am healing in every way, in the best possible way. So I'm looking forward to exploring that that side of therapy. Um, I still, surprisingly, I still get emotional uh, sometimes when somebody might die, somebody who's well known in the in the public space will could pass away because of a cancer and that can hit me emotionally. And there have been a couple of incidents, actually. I had to read the audiobook for Walk So Happy. That's and quite a big thing, isn't it, when it, you read it out loud? Yeah, and a lot of it is very, very lovely and it's all about what we can do and the science and health and nature. But I do talk in the book about for example, the moment I had my biopsy and I thought for the first time, oh my God, I might not be here for my children. Um, I talk about the days when I came home from my mastectomy and how much it meant for, uh, to me to be home with the children and what it was like telling the children. And I really struggled. I had to, I had an amazing producer. She was very, very patient and I cried and I had to go and take time out and really sometimes come back to mm. that bit of the uh, that bit of the chapter. I've also just done um, a, a podcast for the NHS, all about uh, now what? It's basically now you've got a cancer diagnosis, now what? What are the next steps? And it's a 10-part series. And um, I breezed through the first seven episodes because it was, quite, it was quite practical and functional and this is what you can do and here are the groups and these people can help you and don't be afraid to ask your doctor this. And then we came to the chapter that was palliative care and what to do oh. when you move on. And I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's I actually a lot. had to stop. And we, I couldn't do it that day at all. I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do this one, but I definitely can't do it today. Mm. And we had, to, we had to sort of reset. And I came back to that and actually I did it here at home. And I still found it a bit difficult, but I did push on through and I did do it. But even then I had a bit of a moment where I went, I'll be okay, just give me five minutes. Let me just get myself back together. Because the thing about a cancer diagnosis is, first of all, you do face your own mortality. You do look death in the eyes, even if your diagnosis isn't one of terminal disease. Yeah. Everybody knows that cancer can kill you. Yeah, the association there the is very, uh, very powerful. Um, and then 
once you're through a cancer diagnosis, there's this risk of reoccurrence. You know, is it going to come back? And I'm very fortunate. You were talking about people hearing good IVF stories and how that can that can buoy people along. I'm very, very fortunate that um, lots of people have written to me and talked to me on Instagram. And I've just been on a book tour and ladies have come up to me and said, 20 years clear, 15 years clear, had the same as you, got on, all been fine. I know, and, I find that really moving. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really, and it is emotional. Yeah. Um, and it's... You're just like, oh, thank you, because you want to hear those stories. Yeah. You want you want those. And I'm a positive person, and I have my gratitude journal now, and I meditate every day, and I really work hard on my my mental health. But, of course, you've got to deal with all of those potential chances that it might come back, and what would you do? And actually, one of the hardest things one of my little girls asked me um, a few months ago, she said, Mummy, what if your cancer comes back? And I couldn't answer her. I just said, it, it's not very good, darling. And then, like, let's go and do something else. Let's go and clean the hamster cage or, wow. you know, move on uh, from that because they're, they're not conversations that you want to have. And I don't want to let um, the dark into my heart. Yeah. I want to try and keep the light and the positivity there, not in a false way, not in a way where I'm not being realistic, but in a way that I am not thinking about the bad stuff, that I am focused on the good stuff, which yeah. is why I suppose I've thrown myself so headlong into all this health. What can I eat that's going to really nurture my body in the best way? The morning light, what exercise can I do? How can I reduce the risk of reoccurrence? Practically, what can I do? And I feel very strongly for me that all of these things are helping me. They're helping me mentally, but I think they're helping me physically as well. And I think I'm doing my best possible job of holding it off and being the healthiest version of me and learning from that experience. And if you can't learn from a bad experience, then... Yeah, there's got to be a way to find a, the best, most positive relationship with it in your head. Mm. Otherwise, I think you can actually lose your tether on... It's like a thread that you pull at and then yeah. the whole thing kind of unravels a little bit. So I, I can totally understand that. And I think children, I mean, you didn't need a cancer diagnosis to know that you want to be around for your kids as long as possible. No. That's definitely not something, that's an instinct, isn't it? But my seven-year-old, for example, asked me quite often, I'm worried you're going to die. It's a constant thing with him. He's done it for quite a while now. And sometimes... Asking I'll, you when you're yeah, going to die. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'll go off to work and I'll think, I better bloody not die this weekend because he's always <laughs> going to remember I said I'd come back after work. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and so um, it puts a pressure on you even when you haven't got anything in your peripheral vision. And I know you've already spoken about the time when you had to do the thing that no parent ever wants to have to do, which is tell them that you've got an illness that might turn into something big and scary and might leave them without one of their parents. But would you mind just for anyone who hasn't heard you, because it might be helpful. Uh, yeah, it's something that I did address in the documentary, um, Breast Cancer and Me. And um, we did we film it? I think we did. Well, you didn't yeah. film the actual bit with sat in them, but I think it was in the garden. Yeah, it was in the garden. So first of all, we made the decision that we were going to tell them. Some families might choose not to, but I didn't think that was... I would definitely have to tell them. Yeah. I, I, You're right, I, not everybody does. I don't think, I don't think that we as a family could have hidden all of the emotions and everything I was going through in a way that the children wouldn't have known something was wrong. Yeah. They would have known. And then I think for their minds not to know 
it, it, it would would be worse, certainly for my children. They're very curious. We're very open. We do talk as a family. Yeah. That's a really important part of our family life and structure. So we, we we both agreed that we would have to tell them. And then we thought, well, how do we do it and where do we do it? And the garden was the natural place because we all love nature. We like being under trees. And that's a safe place for them mm. as well. And we, we could hold their hands and pause. And walking is brilliant for, I think, difficult conversations and lovely conversations. Yes. I think it's a no great... Direct eye contact. Yeah, side by side, Mm -hmm. pacing things out. Um, So we said, we've got something to tell you. And we said, look, mummy's got something called cancer. And cancer is an illness and it can be very, very serious, but it doesn't have to be. And we think mummy's going to be okay. So that's all that we can tell you. I am going to have to go to hospital and I will have to have an operation. And it will be really sore and I won't be very, very well for a while. You know, I physically, I might not look the same um, and I might not feel the same and I won't be able to run around in the garden with you for a while because I won't be feeling very strong. And one of my little girls, and this always makes me cry, so I'll see if it doesn't make me cry when I say this. One of my little girls said to me, can I still hug you? Um, so, yeah. It does still make you cry. It does still make If you're wondering... <laughs> It does, yeah, it also it makes me cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I said, of course, you can still hug me, um, my lovely. In fact, I want you to hug me more. Yeah. Because I'll need lots of hugs. You know, I'm going to need you to um, to be there and, and do everything that you can for me. Um, and then I was very surprised, actually, when I went into hospital to have the mastectomy. I stayed for longer than I thought. I took the time. I could, again, very fortunate. I could take the time. I was I was in hospital for five days. I had a drain in after my mastectomy. So that's that's the drain that's that, that sucks out all the blood that might um, gather around your wound. And um, I didn't want to see the kids. Well, I wanted to see the kids. I didn't want them to see me. Yeah, you need a bit of time to be. I didn't want them to see me in bed, propped up, bandaged up with a tube coming out of me. Uh, you know, looking yeah. the way I was, high on the, the pain medication. I just didn't want them to be exposed to me like that. So for the first time ever, I mean, I've made series in Australia. I've travelled and I always, every day, speak to the children, video call. So the first time ever since they were born, I didn't see them for five days, but even they on a video call. I bet you they won't remember those five days. No. You do, but I do. Won't. No, and I think it was the right thing to mm. do for them, definitely. Yeah. Um, and it was the right thing to do for me because I just would have found it so stressful and upsetting yeah. for them to see me and then for them to ask me questions about it. So I remember the moment, and this is in the documentary, when I did come home and I had a little bit of time in the garden on my own, which I loved. I just sat out there. It was October. There was sun in the sky. It was a blue sky, just, you know, one of those freaky, lovely days uh, in October, autumnal colours. And I just sat there and I felt that sunshine on my face. And I said to myself, I'm going to be outside every single day of my life from this day forward, even if it's just shuffling around the garden. And my kids are going to be home in half an hour. And I went upstairs and I sat on my bed and I waited for the kids to come home from school. And they came home and they jumped on the bed. And it was just one of the most beautiful moments of my life to be back with them. Yeah, that's very special. Yeah. Um, there's a bit where your kids are going off, I think they're going to a play date, and you say to them, be strong, be Be good, brave. be strong, be kind. Yes. Is that yeah. something you say all yeah. the time? Yeah, I say that all the time. Be good, be strong, be kind. 
So be good, be a good person, be strong because stuff will happen that you have to deal with and be kind because we should all be as kind to everybody as we can all be. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Oh, I was like, oh, that's a nice uh, yeah, send off. I like that. All the good stuff in life. Yeah. All right, well, just to finish, before we start, oh. I will just say something yeah. else for people. There's a brilliant, brilliant charity called the Fruit Fly Collective. Oh, yes, the people who help children. And they children. help you talk to children about cancer. Mm. All sorts of things. They have workshops. Um, they help children understand parents who are going through chemotherapy because you're obviously very tired with chemotherapy and everything can be hard. Like you can't tie your shoelaces. Um, brushing your teeth is hard. So they have like toothpaste but filled with lead so that the kids can pick it up and see how heavy it is. And they ask the children to tie up shoelaces with boxing gloves <laughs> so they can see how, so that they know why mummy or daddy can't do all the stuff that they used to be able to do or you know why they're brilliant that they can break it down like that brilliant and they explain as i said what cancer is and the cells proliferating so it's a brilliant brilliant resource and big shout out to all the breast cancer charities and a big shout out to uh, shout out to maggie's as well which is a walk-in center you could walk in and say my friend julia's got cancer and i don't know how to to how to talk to her, what do I do? Yeah, no, Maggie's are brilliant. And they'll help you as the friend of the friend, or it could be me, and I go, can I see your clinical psychologist, please, because I just don't know what to do with this information. Yeah, no, that is, it's a wonderful resource. My mum's yeah. actually um, one of the patrons. There we go. See, of course, you're, familiar of course you're lovely mummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I think what Fruit Flies does is brilliant, not just for the stuff of breaking it down to kids so that they have a, a way of taking the abstract and something they can understand, but also... When you're in that community, seeing other kids, their parents going through, because I think for a little while you feel like you've slipped out of the, you know, the the, the lane of your normal life into a sort of other other section of things, and then yeah, you well, see other families. That's all happening to them too. Yeah, and other and other parents like your your like your normal like um, schoolgate mums and dads yeah. and everything. They don't know how to treat you either. That's they don't so know true. what to do. They don't quite know what to say other than are "You okay? How are you?" Yeah. Hug, and then that's it. But yeah, so you do need people who have got experience, yeah. um, and that the children can talk to other children and go, "How is it? How is it for you?" Yeah, that's really that's really important. Mm. So. Before we started recording, I said to you that I feel like I read your book at the right time in my life because I was reading it feeling like, mm-hmm, mm. there's a lot of things in here. I'm probably, there are aspects of uh, how you speak about how you thought you were healthy and the things you were doing, but then you realise you were depleted in a few areas and maybe not prioritising aspects of your well-being. So apart from telling me to stop my uh, career in which involves bits of nightlife <laughs> dodgy circadian rhythm is there anything else that you would say I could start with is a good thing to help me yeah I think there are lots of practical tips in the book but there are a few things that I think are fundamental to our health that we could all implement tomorrow um, some of them are easier than others because people have different relationships with food but first of all be out in nature or green spaces and daylight natural daylight as much as you possibly can be for all the reasons that I said earlier on. Mm-hmm. It's it's not woo-woo. It genuinely will help your health. Um, people who spend time in nature, their blood pressure drops. Their natural killer cells increase. So their immune function goes up. Their stress levels go down. I mean, it's, you know, there are biomarkers. It's been measured. Mm. So it really, really works. So make sure you build that. I call them nature snacks in the book. Build nature snacks into your day and... Yeah, do that. I'd urge everybody to to prioritise that. Um, Something I found easy 
when it came to food. I was definitely addicted to sugar. And I think we all are because it is, as you've said, it's ubiquitous, certainly for like life on the road or when you're on TV or if you work in a hospital or um, it's just everywhere. It's like, you know, yeah. it's vending machines. Yeah. Um, supermarkets are now 65, 70% full of processed foods, not, yeah. you know, the whole foods. So one thing that I found <laughs> easy and hard at the same time um, there are two things that I did to improve my eating habits. First of all, I stopped snacking, full stop. So just don't snack. So that meant I didn't have my elevenses where I dunked my custard creams or I had the I had the donuts. Um, I didn't have that handful of Maltesers at four o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't sit on the sofa anymore after I've eaten dinner and have a, pu- a bucket of popcorn with Maltesers poured into it. I stopped. Wow. Snacking, yeah. You really love, did love your sugar. I really did love my sugar. <laughs> so if you stop snacking, that that first of all, you stop these blood sugar, you know, the the, the roller coaster. You yeah. stop that. You stop spiking your blood sugar, which will help okay. you with insulin control and help you with uh, blood sugar levels. And it just means that you're you will be more. You'll you'll get rid of so much crap in your life. Yeah. Because you've you could just go. The rule is I can't eat if it's not meal times. Mm-hmm. And what you can do if you've still got a sweet tooth, I've switched to dark chocolate. If you've still got a sweet tooth, eat the sweet things. For me, it's the dark chocolate at the end of your meal. And that reduces the sugar spike okay. and is better for you. And you're sort of you're still doing it in, in that your meal window. You're not snacking, you're having your little treat. Yeah. But so that's a really good thing. Bolt on that that little bit, that treat bit. Always not on an empty stomach because on an empty stomach is the worst because you're literally and sugary drinks. It's just like the sugar just goes straight into your bloodstream and not good. Okay. So s- snacking and stick to meal times. Prioritize sleep. Now, younger people are going to go, forget that. But read the chapter on sleep. Mm. Look how important it is. And the other really good tip about sleep is you would not be driving on a motorway at 70 miles an hour, top speed, overtaking every car in the, in the inside lanes. You wouldn't be driving and then suddenly pull up the handbrake and career into the hard shoulder and then take a nap. You wouldn't, if you were driving, that's not how you would stop the car. Right. Why should we and would we think it works for us to be going at breakneck speed all day, doing our to-do list, emails, phones, smartphones, children, juggling, singing a song, writing a paper, um, seeing to somebody in, in, in the hospital bed, doing all of that. Why do we think we can go straight from that and then eat and then go to bed and have a really great night's sleep? Mm. Where's the wind down? When you put it like this, it all makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> the why you need a we all need a wind down mm. period, and that means turn down the lights. Don't watch Happy Valley back to back, where people are getting stabbed and <laughs> dying. I mean, I love it. Can you watch it at any other time? Um, you know, reduce the stop the screen time. Don't eat late. Yeah, that's a good one. Which is that comes as number four. So we'll we'll save that one. We'll, we'll keep that <laughs> one for a moment. But slow yourself down. I have things called blue light blocking glasses. I put these glasses on. They've got yellow lenses, so that at night, I mean, I'm like the lady going around the house, turning all the lights down. I say to the kids, "No, no, night, night. You know, dimmers, dimmers, dim it all. You you don't want your body, your eyes, that morning light in the morning. You don't want your body to think, oh, it's still night. Let's keep going, guys. Let's yeah. keep the hormones going. So slow yourself down." and that will really help yourself sleep. Don't get into bed at 70 miles an hour. Okay. (laughs) Don't eat before or uh, try not to eat three hours before you go to bed. 
Yeah. Because you rest and repair while you're sleeping, as we've already spoken about. But if you're still digesting those Maltesers and that popcorn or your, your, your late night meal, you are not resting and repairing, you're digesting. So your body's not doing what it's meant to, to, to do during sleep. Yeah. It's doing something else, which means you won't wake up feeling bushy-tailed and brilliant. Uh, or if you think you do, your body hasn't done everything that it's meant to do. Cleansing your toxins, clearing the brain, repairing your gut lining, doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those, and obviously the final, the fifth one for me is walk more. Yeah, walking's good. Walking's good. <laughs> walking's good. Walking's good for relationships, bonds, friendships, you, mental health challenges, just making you feel gratitude and awe when you're out there and you look up at a big mother tree and you go, wow, look at her. She's pretty special. You can give her a hug as well. Well, talking of mother trees, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I think you're good and strong and kind. And um, I I think the next step's got to be um, a book to help um, all the the parents out there with that bit of their life and how to help your kids get on the straight and narrow because it sounds like you've got lots of very sensible things that I think God, my kids are not going to know what's happening when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> what's happened? Mum, something's gone wrong. Get these little teasers out that popcorn yes. now. <laughs> I've got, I'll show you, um, I'll show you some dark chocolate buttons that they really like. You can swap yeah. them, you can try, swap it out. And if you say that this is all that's available in the oh, house, yeah, yeah. then trust me, They'll take them. I know. That's very true. And actually, you do get... I used to have two and a half sugars in my tea, and now I don't have any sugar in my tea. And you do get used to it. You do get... I have steamed vegetables for breakfast now and no cereal. Do you? Yeah. What kind of vegetables? I have a mixed plate of vegetables, so I mix it up. I'll have broccoli, cauliflower, some leeks. I might have some spinach one day a week. I don't eat too much spinach because of the oxalates. Um, I really mix up my veg. And that actually sounds quite tasty. Do you have really, anything on it at all? Yes, I have a squeeze of lemon juice. Uh-huh. I have a big glug of olive oil. I put fennel seeds. I oh, put some cayenne pepper. Mm. and I might have a bit of avocado or a little bit of mackerel. I have changed. That is such a new thing for me. What was your old breakfast? Oh, the old breakfast would have been cereal. or Yeah, Yeah. and cereal, I'm afraid, is ultra-processed food. It's not a great way to start your day. It's very, very sugary, and it's not. And people go, what am I meant to eat? Nuts, seeds, yogurt, fruits, berries, steamed veg. (laughs) Yeah. And if you start, I, I have genuinely retrained my palate and now I do not have the cravings that I used to have. 11 wow. o'clock when I used to do the dunking of the basis, I don't even think about that now. I'm honestly, I'm set for the day. My savoury start to the day sets me up. It re- you can change your palate. You can change the way that you eat. You can reduce the cravings. You don't need huge amounts of supplements. You, you just need to give yourself two weeks. Okay. It took me about two or three weeks. And, and in two or three weeks, for me, sweet used to be maple syrup, honey, chocolate, whatever it might be. Now, a blueberry, and I'm rocking. (laughs) Honestly. Seriously happy with that. Thumbs up for blueberries. Yay! (laughs) It's a low-sugar fruit. Very good for you. (laughs) That's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on Spinning Plates, and thank you for spinning all of your plates and entertaining us and doing all the lovely stuff that you do for us (laughs) as well. My kids adore you, and they're hoping that this has gone on long enough so that you'll still be here when they come home from school. Oh, cool. Well, the circadian rhythm chat, if your daughter wants to be a pop star, you're going to have to make sure our gigs are on nice I tell you what, I'm I'm thinking like daytime raves is where I'm going. Hello, me again. So, did it make you think? 
really made me think. I mean, firstly, I really relate to Julia and her relationship with the with the outside. I'm the same. Today, I went for like a two-hour walk around Ipswich <laughs> and it just makes me feel better. I like walking around, seeing the sights, clearing my mind. Obviously, I don't always get the indulgence of having all that time, but I walk the kids to school whenever I can, whenever I'm home. And um, I love my walk and I'm very protective of it as well. I will organise my whole day just to preserve walking into school and walking home again. It usually takes me about 45 minutes as a round trip and it's like really precious to me. Um, I also totally appreciate what she says about sunshine and how important it is. Uh, She said some slightly, well, it's probably all true, but worrying things about, you know, nocturnal jobs. I mean, I say this as someone who finishes work. I come off stage at 10 and then by the time the adrenaline's worn off, I normally go to bed around midnight one if I'm kind of doing quite well. Sometimes it's later. Well, let's see what happens. (laughs) Let's see. Let's see how my lifestyle works out. That's something I can't tweak, but I could definitely do a little bit of tweaking with my diet, I think. I think I do play a bit fast and loose because probably like a lot of people, I think I'm quite good, but I'm probably not that good. Uh, Anyway, let's see. Let's see. It's still, it's good to think about these things sometimes, isn't it? So much of it's about habits. And I do think Julia is such a lovely, warm person. And it's, it's lovely to speak to someone who's such a, she's got such natural maternal energy, all the good stuff. And just loads of energy, full stop, actually. Uh, yeah, like I said before, she's a force for good. She makes you feel energised, which is a nice thing. And, yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'm about to start getting ready. My Oh, God, Rich is going to hate that. This is air conditioning unit in my dressing room, and it's really noisy. You're just going to have to have that sound in the background. Oh, sorry, Richard. It goes on for about two or three minutes. Um, but I cannot work out how to turn it off. It's really annoying. It's loud, isn't it? Sorry. Um, oh, I wonder if it's that switch. No, you don't want to have the sound of me turning off switches. Um, the main thing is, thank you for listening. I'm about to get myself ready for Ipswich Regents Theatre. Tomorrow's a day off. Saturday, Liverpool. Sunday, Sheffield. Home for a day off on Monday. Back with my babies. And then London on Tuesday, which is my homecoming gig. Because I'm a Londoner. So, yeah, all good. And if you're one of the people that's come to see me on the tour, thank you very much. I hope you've been entertained. I hope you've been feeling a little bit more festive once you've spent some time with us. I've certainly been enjoying myself a great deal. And, yeah, our spirits are good, I would say. Oh, and tomorrow, being Friday, I get to open my first day of my advent calendar. Do you guys have an advent calendar? I have a chocolate one that Richard gave me, so that's exciting. Oh, I've just realised that totally goes against... I was talking about with Julia. I should have got a buddy 70% cocoa one, shouldn't I? (laughs) Maybe next year. Anyway, lots of love to you. And I will speak to you again next week. So have a good one in the meantime. Lots of love. Oh, I'm back on again because I just remembered something. I want to give a little congratulations to Ella May and her boyfriend, Billy, because 
he proposed to her yesterday and they got engaged and that is a happy thing. So congratulations to you, LMA. LMA is the amazing artist who does all the podcast artwork. She's brilliant and she's a very, very lovely presence in, in my life because she's always very upbeat and positive and her artwork is amazing. So yeah, congratulations to you guys. And um, yeah, just wanted to give a shout out. So thanks to Ella May for the artwork. Thanks to producer Claire Jones. Thanks to Richard for editing. Thank you to Julia for being such an excellent guest. And thank you to you for lending me your ears once again. I will see you soon. All right, that's love, baby. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.